0: And welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Rasslin.
1: I'm David Dahl.
0: And this week, we are still in the 1935 nominees and watched the Catherine Hepburn movie, Alice Adams. And... Which which is a weird movie. Yeah. I'm going to be the one to say it this week.
1: <laughs> Thank you for getting it out of the way early. I also, I think we can now formally say, like, 1935, our most dog shit year for movies. Like, <laughs> and uh, there's this movie has some things that redeem it. It's not a total trash fire, like literally a third of the movies we've watched this year. But like it's just there hasn't been anything not even that's like knocked my socks off but that i'd be like this is fine like this is this is better than even this is probably the closest we've got
0: and this is the seventh movie in this year yeah so we're more than halfway through so like yeah i think we can pretty much say even if well i guess if every movie we watch after this is amazing We can say 35 wasn't a dog shit year.
1: (laughs) Right. But literally the next movie we're going to watch is the Broadway Melody of 1936, which one, who knew those worked on car model rules? And two, (laughs) I don't know if naming it by year is- No,
0: the next one is Top Hat. Is
1: Top Hat first? Yeah. I thought, I thought Broadway Melody came out. Am I doing that thing where I just get days and months confused? Uh... No, Broadway Melody came out August 25th. Top Hat came out August 29th. You're
0: shitting me. Yeah, you're right. All right. So it's actually Broadway Melody.
1: But let's talk about this film, because that's what we're actually supposed to do in this episode. And we can talk about the plot pretty quickly, because just like last week, this is a one-act play being stretched to a film.
0: But it doesn't feel as long.
1: Yeah, but that's entirely down to Hepburn. When you talk about what happens in this movie, nothing happens.
0: That's true. And that is one of the ways that it is super weird. (laughs)
1: And not even in the sense of, like, there are a lot of quiet scenes that are sort of about an interior emotional life and not about action which is true but there are also just scenes where it's like why is this in the movie why is there a weird scene where her dad tells her she can't act like what, what?
0: Uh, yeah i th- that whole not a subplot subplot is very yeah yeah it's weird all right so to the plot <laughs>
1: yes alice adams is played by Catherine hepburn is kind of a poor uh, woman in, I guess, her early 20s, though it's never super duper specified. So it might be one of those weird things where we're having Catherine Hepburn play a 17-year-old and you just, whatever. Just
0: roll with it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, Her father has been sick for a long time, used to work as a clerk in a factory. Her mom uh, yells at him a lot. She goes off to a fancy dinner party with her brother, who doesn't want to go.
0: It's a ball. It's not a dinner party.
1: You're you're right. It is a ball. We get to the fancy dinner party later. She goes off to a ball, has a just like really, you can feel it, terrible time.
0: (laughs) But she wants so badly to be having a good time.
1: Yes. And she... Briefly meets a wealthy man named Arthur Russell.
0: Not to be confused with the 1970s composer, Arthur Russell.
1: Which you will, uh, (laughs) because there's really nothing to this guy. So you spend a lot of time thinking about, where do I know that name? And not a lot of time thinking about him, because he's boring.
0: Oh, yeah. He is a cipher.
1: She and him have... Kind of a courtship through the rest of this movie, which is honestly, we're going to skip over to talk about the B plots just so we have something to talk about where the mom has now literally, this is in the Wikipedia part article, nagged the father into opening up a factory.
0: A glue factory specifically.
1: <laughs> Man, we're going to get into it. But that has angered his former employer who believes that he has stolen this glue formula to make the glue and has embarrassed the family and made them the target of gossip. Alice invites the boring guy, Arthur, over for a dinner party, where she is super-duper racist and everything goes wrong, and she cannot even vaguely pretend to not be poor, and kind of chases him out. We then have a resolution of the dad's plotline, where Alice explains that he only stole the glue formula for her benefit, and just like it always works in capitalism, everybody goes, oh, no harm, no foul, then and becomes friends.
0: And business partners.
1: Right. And then Alice goes out to the porch for a non-canon ending, in my opinion, where she has not chased Arthur away. He still loves her. They embrace end of film. Yeah.
0: You totally left out her brother completely.
1: I did, because there's kind of so much and so little there. The brother, like, I am, I guess, skipping over the brother's one plot-specific act, which is also the worst thing he does, which is he steals 150 bucks to cover gambling debts from the factory owner, who's already pissed at them for... It's kind of inexplicable why he does that, but it gets us to a direct confrontation between the dad and Mr. Lamb, the factory owner, so... Whatever. He's also the least racist person in this film, which is kind of exciting.
0: Well, Arthur might be. No, Arthur's not actively anti-racist. He's just no one. So he never does or says anything racist, but he also doesn't do or say anything. Yeah. Arthur
1: is kind of that caricature of like centrist white men who just like, well, this doesn't bother me. So just keep on living your life like he's vaguely amused when he finds the brother gambling with the help, but doesn't have any sort of emotional reaction, positive or negative to that,
0: really. It's funny because I want to say like all of this movie is in the details more than any movie we've watched. That is probably true because the story is so who cares?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's girl meets boy. They kind of suffer setbacks, but the setbacks are basically all in their head and then they get together. It would be different if they didn't get together at the end, which is apparently the original ending and the ending Hepburn and the director pushed for. But as it is, it ends up being that like, oh, all of the stuff you were worried about, you didn't need to be worried about because he loves you. And so it's like, well, then why did we focus over an hour of the film on that shit? And it, yeah, kind of sucks.
0: I'll say this for the movie. Like, I didn't want to burn anything to the ground watching it. Oh, yeah, no. Which, by the 1935 metric, is, like, pretty good.
1: I think there's, like, two separate over 10 minute sequences that, if Catherine Hepburn did not save them, would be just so boring, I would have turned the movie off. Or so irritating, I would have turned the movie off. Because this is kind of a very delicate. Role. Alice is not a good person.
0: (laughs) No, and I don't know that. I guess we're supposed to be. Sympathetic to her, but we're supposed to think she is horribly flawed. Right. Which she is. At the beginning of the movie, the first thing that you see is her in a floral shop and she is looking for flowers to bring as her bouquet to the ball. And the flower shop guy suggests something. And then she has this like incredibly pretentious response to gardenias being like not special enough and that she really wants something different. And so he suggests violets, and then tells her what the price is. And she's like, oh, no, I couldn't possibly they're just not right for me or whatever, and then runs out, and then apparently like goes to a field and spends all day picking violets to be her bouquet. Yeah, I
1: have I have written down in my notes, more subtlety in this one flower shop scene than the entirety of the informer. (laughs)
0: That's certainly true. She is able to convey to the audience that the issue is not that she is not impressed with the violets, but that the problem is the price. But you're also kind of like, why does she have to be such a stuck up brat about it? And that's essentially what her character is through the whole movie. I don't even see how they're like that poor. Like they own their home. Their dad has been sick for what I take is to be like several months. And is still getting paid. And like at one point the boss comes over to talk to him before the whole gambling, stealing money plot line. Yeah. And the mom is like, well, I'm sure he didn't offer to raise your salary. And it's like he he's literally not working. I mean, from my like personal political perspective, like work should not be a requirement for people to have a good quality of life. But he's not going to show up and be like, cool, you haven't worked for four months Here's a raise? <laughs> yeah,
1: it's very, I mean, this is what I'm saying about the ending, is that the original ending was that she is correct that he is kind of freaked out when it turns out that she isn't rich. And he runs off and marries the rich-
0: Arthur Russell is freaked out. Right. Yeah.
1: And marries Mildred Palmer, the rich girl in town who he was kind of already engaged to, sort of, or at least their family's- kind of assumed they were going to get engaged, and then Alice just grows up and, like, gets a job, then it's interesting because then all of that class anxiety that she has through the whole film is, like, justified. Oh, there are real consequences to the fact that she cannot perform being rich properly. Whereas in this, it's like her, you know, quirky, charming foible that her husband decides to get over. In which case, like, then it's pointless. Why are we spending so much time on it?
0: And it indicts her so much worse because like at the beginning of the movie, I was thinking it sucks that they live in this community where there is like a really hard class differential and like she goes to the ball In a dress that she's worn before, but they've, like, modified it a little bit. And Mildred Palmer says something shitty about how, like, she's wearing organza instead of whatever everybody else is wearing. And she is the only one wearing this, like, white flouncy dress and everyone else is in this, like, very sleek evening wear that's black. And she, like, dances with a bunch of people she doesn't like. Or really just the one guy that she doesn't like. Meanwhile, her brother, who does not want to go to this ball at all... Happens to know the black band leader for the orchestra and ends up like upstairs somewhere shooting dice with-
1: I think he's just in the cloakroom.
0: Oh, in the cloakroom. I don't know why I thought it was upstairs. I guess because everything in a party in my mind that is bad has to happen upstairs. (laughs) (laughs) You can't do it on the first floor if somebody would see it. But yeah, like there is an actual sort of class distinction there. And there is a point where she's talking to her brother and there's this guy in the background in white tails who is like just stupidly good looking. The kind of person who would have sat for like art deco advertising illustrations. <laughs> and I was like, who's this guy? Are we gonna are we gonna see this guy? And really, he's just there to like, look down his nose at Alice and her brother. And then we'd never see him again.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's so much at that party. There's an unbroken like, two minute shot Where there's no dialogue that you're supposed to listen to. There's just sort of the ambient chatter of the party as Alice sits there waiting for her brother to come back and people just wander by. Mm -hmm. And again, like Hepburn saves this movie because otherwise it's just so empty. All of the nuance in it is in her performance. Because as written, Alice is kind of just this terrible social climber who gets what she wants after being super racist at a dinner party. And it is up to Katharine Hepburn to perform the inner life of that and make that sympathetic and interesting and not just terrible, which like it still is from time to time, but it seems intentional to me when it happens in this film.
0: It's not forgivable. I think is really what it is, is that so many other movies that we've watched when white people are terrible to black people, it's funny, or it's supposed to be funny, or it's just it's not a big deal at all. And this is a movie that like very specifically makes her being racist, or anyone being racist in this movie a negative quality and not just the way that things are. Yeah. Which does make it exceptional for like any movie that we've watched yeah. other than maybe Imitation of Life which was not quite as cut and dry about it to be honest.
1: Yeah I think Imitation of Life had sort of a more of a role for African Americans in it than this movie does where they really aren't kind of just the help or passing by but it really stumbled because it kept sort of implying that race racism just sort of comes out of nowhere. It's just this terrible thing that happens to black people. Who knows why? And this movie knows why. And this movie says why a lot.
0: Right. It's white people being bad to black people. Yeah. Hello. Surprise, in case you didn't know. it does. It's not just an organic, ambient thing in the air. Yeah. So after the ball, how is it that she ends up meeting up with Arthur Russell, the nobody? Oh, they just like run into each other in the street, right?
1: He's a fuck... I have a theory that he's a fucking ghost. (laughs) Because every single time he appears... She has checked for him. She's like, well, I got to make sure that the guy I'm interested in isn't looking at me before I go up here and start going to secretarial school, because that would be very embarrassing. <laughs> oh, uh, God, he's right behind me. Like, and that happens three times.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't really thought about it, that he just like kind of <laughs> comes out of nowhere whenever she invokes him. Yeah.
1: And so she's going to start secretarial school, and instead he comes by and she makes up a All of her stories are like, kind of, this is one of the things that is confusing to me about the movie. Are her transparently like, obvious lies supposed to be transparently obvious within the universe of the movie?
0: See, I couldn't tell. And I also couldn't tell why it was that Arthur developed any kind of interest in her from that very first conversation they have on the street. Because she makes herself out to be a horrible person. She literally says like, oh, I'm so mean and I'm so awful. And like, nothing is good enough for me at all. And I'm like, what, what's your, this is okay. Like I've seen how to lose a guy in 10 days.
1: <laughs> no, I gotta say it's, I mean, it's entirely that it's Catherine Hepburn, but I do have in my notes, <laughs> Susan, apparently my type is Catherine Hepburn doing crimes <laughs> because every single time she like tries to be charming in a traditionally like- Oh, I've oh, mother, I'm so worried. It's like, yeah, whatever. And every time she's like, "I'm gonna steal something," I'm like, "I'm into this. I'm extremely into this."
0: I mean. Doing crimes is one thing, but literally telling somebody that she's a terrible person and is so mean to other girls, is this like the 1935 version of like, most of my friends are guys? She also
1: specifically, uh, the guy she doesn't want to dance with, which that sequence is also great because you really feel what it's like to have a terrible dance partner.
0: Yeah. And and she's struggling so hard to like, keep a smile on her face, but you can tell that it's agonizing. I mean, they show him literally stepping on her toes. Yeah,
1: but he is overweight and she has this fucking terrifying line where she says she specifically just wants to have enough guys fighting over her so that she can dump on that fat guy just like all the other girls get to do.
0: Yeah, she's awful. She's a
1: pretty bad human being, which I think the movie wants you to think is true, but then rewards her for it with that ending. Again, if the ending were like no, she has to grow up and get a job and actually deal with the consequences of the fact that she can't just play pretend that she's a rich girl for her whole life, then that's super interesting and nuanced. And it's okay that she's awful. But in the end, it's like she is awful. She's a terrible person. She's lied to this man repeatedly. But on the other hand, she is Catherine Hepburn. So they are going to get together at the end of the movie.
0: (laughs) On the other hand, she's cute is like kind of how it works out. Yeah, I I don't don't get it. I mean, I feel like the movie rewards her even before the end, because the fact that she's been, like, basically dating this dude for months by the next scene is down to her, like, lying to him and being kind of terrible. So after that, after this, there's, like, this plot or whatever, her lying to dude and they're dating, then there's this scene that she has with her mom, and the mom is a complicated character for me as well, because... One, the whole family seems to think that Alice is like the sweetest, kindest, best girl in the entire world. What is their reasoning for that? Because I never see her do anything nice for anybody. I guess the only thing that she does is that she doesn't vocally complain that they're poor. Yeah,
1: and she has a very nice relationship with the dad. But yeah, why the brother and the mom think she's, like, this beautiful creature that must be protected and given everything she wants is a real friggin' mystery to me. And I guess the brother really doesn't.
0: (laughs) No, the brother kind of has her number, which I'm like, yeah, good. Somebody needs to. But yeah, there's a scene with the mom where she tells Alice that the reason that they're poor is... Because the dad came up with the best formula for glue.
1: Oh, no, I have the specific line because I was going to ask you. Go for it. So I was going to make a bit about it because the line is so great. I rewound to find it. Your father has invented a secret formula for making the best (laughs) glue in the world.
0: But later on, we find out that it's not patentable. No,
1: no. It's,
0: and it's apparently not that secret. Yeah, it's
1: it's <laughs> very strange. I was going to give you a, like, what was it like the day your mother pulled you aside and told you that your father has invented a secret formula for making the best clue in the world? Because she delivers it like it's not the most bonkers line in the history of time. <laughs> like, this is just like, oh, it's time for, it's time to tell you the truth. Um <laughs>
0: It's time to tell you the truth about why we're poor. And it's that your dad has a secret formula for the greatest glue that has ever been made and just hasn't capitalized on it. And of course, then there's this whole like row between the dad and the mom about, you know, mom is like, just, just open a glue factory and make the secret super glue. And uh, uh, I see it's super glue.
1: (laughs) Apparently, they're so poor, she cannot buy a corsage. But have enough money that they can get a loan to just buy a fucking factory.
0: Right, buy an outfit a factory to make glue. But like, sure, okay, whatever. Anyway, they get into this huge row and he's like, the formula basically belongs to his boss because his old colleague who's now dead, who's the only other one who knows the secret formula, except of course, that doesn't turn out to be the case. He's like, well, it belongs to the boss because we worked for him- and we developed it while we were working for him. And, like, seize the means of production, Dad. It's your formula. <laughs> I don't care if you were working for the dude. But he does have a point that, like, yeah. he could get his ass sued into next week because, like, that's how working works. <laughs>
1: it's weird that they specifically say it's not patentable so he's legally in the clear so that like he's not that bad of a person i bet in the original novel it's patentable and he just steals it but in this it seems like he's just so much of a coward he didn't go to talk to mr lamb and that would have solved the whole thing
0: right because in this magical universe the boss under whom you developed this thing that you're planning on selling is just like, oh, well, if you just talk to me, then we could have gone into business together and it's fine. And not like, hey, so you know your contract that says everything that you come up with while you work for me is mine? Yeah, cool. Yeah. Which I guess is why they make this weird argument about it not being patentable. But in that case, like, then it's a, not a great business venture because, like, anybody could just make your glue. Well, They also
1: make a big thing about, like, he developed it with another guy, but that guy's dead. So he owns it 100% now. And I'm like, that's not how that works at all. No, like, <laughs> that's d- like... <laughs> does the
0: guy have no kids? What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um anyway not that big of a deal but the point is that the mom like flips out at him and is saying do you know why alice is so sad all the time it's because all these other girls have money and she does it and how is she ever gonna compete and it's like she's literally sitting on the porch right now with that girl's almost fiance so like I think she's competing pretty well, honestly.
1: Yeah. And like, this is skipping ahead. And I did want to talk about the Italian restaurant scene for two reasons.
0: Oh, yes. I'd forgotten about the Italian restaurant scene.
1: I would have had I not kept these notes because it's kind of a nothing scene. But it does open with Arthur telling the waiter to go back and play the song again. And the band in this Italian restaurant being shocked they want them to play it again a sixth time which I feel like we're past the point where you get to be shocked at the sixth time. Like the third or fourth time they make you replay the song, I would be like, again? But by the fifth, I'd be like, this is my life now. (laughs) I'm just going to play this one song for like...
0: Until until they leave or I die.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But the other thing is, that scene is when I realized that Alice Adams is a gender reversed version of that guy from Ladybird that's reading a people's history of the United States and tells her she's a good girl for not having a cell phone that like she is progressive and deep in this way that is so shallow and racist and boring. <laughs> but all she ever wants to do is say things that sound deep. About just like, oh, all we're ever doing is dying. And it's like, what are you talking about? We're both like 20 at an Italian restaurant. What are you doing?
0: <laughs> um... <laughs> no, right now we're, uh, we're, we're on the way up. You don't scientifically start dying till 25. So, you know, chill out, Alice Adams. (laughs) Unless they're 25. Who knows? Yeah, so they have that moment on their date in the restaurant. And then there's the whole thing on the porch. And there's a lot of these moments of Arthur and Alice being on the porch while her family are having these, like, explosive screaming fights that you can hear outside. And again, Arthur is just like, yeah, okay, I guess this is just, this is fine that is the weird nothing thing about him because like wouldn't you just ask like hey is everything okay in your house
1: right the idea that like the dinner party is where this all falls apart and her story no longer checks out is like her story falls apart under momentary scrutiny constantly in every scene right and so the idea that it's like only when the dad says he's never had a secretary that he like puts it together is bizarre.
0: There's a scene where we go to Mildred's house and it's her dad who's the factory owner, right? Maybe?
1: I don't think so. I think that's a different boring rich guy.
0: But he knows anyway about like how the formula for the glue or whatever was developed at Rich Dude's house. Yeah. or Rich Dude's house. Rich Dude's factory. And is like talking trash about Alice Adams' dad and like Arthur's just there hanging out doesn't defend Alice, doesn't defend her dad isn't like hey uh mildred i need to talk to you you know this like presumptive engagement that we have well i've been making out with alice adams for like the last few months so it's over and that was the point where i was like okay i went from thinking like i guess this guy's fine and just like kind of take shit in stride to being like nope he sucks
1: too i mean it feels like he's kind of the like He's like the Baxter that somehow ends up getting the girl just because there are no other men in this film. <laughs> because he, d- he's just so pliant to anything. He just goes along with like, yeah, I guess I'll marry this rich girl. Oh, there's another girl. Oh, she wants to get, uh, yeah, I guess I'll marry this girl. Oh, she's a liar. I mean, sh- I guess I'll, I don't know. I don't really care. Whatever.
0: Yeah. He kind of just rolls with everything, but that's. The, that's the problem.
1: There's not even a scene where they like confront the fact that she's lied to him through the whole movie, and partially that's because the scene that kind of would go there is actually this really subtle, interesting performance by Catherine Hepburn. But like, it's also because the happy ending is so slapdash; they don't even bother to pretend like it's earned, right? And so he ends up also looking really weird because of it. Yeah, because he ends up just kind of going like, "Yeah, whatever." To the revelation that their entire relationship is based on a lie.
0: Not even, yeah, whatever. It's like, I still love you. Yeah. We don't even have to talk about it. It's fine because I still love you.
1: Yeah. Not even worth the consideration to dismiss it. Like,
0: yeah, it's, it's really bizarre. So yeah, then there's this whole thing where the family has invited Arthur over for dinner at Alice's house This is like the most uncomfortable and sort of the denouement scene. But leading up to it, the mom has hired a black woman to cook and serve dinner. And this woman is basically going to, I don't know that she's going to pretend, but the whole family is going to pretend like, oh, yeah, she's a servant that they have all the time.
1: Yeah. And can we get this out of the way and talk about how angry I am at the Wikipedia summary for this movie? Because, like, sometimes they leave stuff out that I think is pretty important, or sometimes they, like, kind of have a weird angle on something, but that's fine. This time there is a sentence that is just actively untrue, which is, The dinner is ruined by the slovenly behavior and poor cooking skills of the maid the Adams have hired for the occasion. And no. <laughs> no. That's what Alice-
0: That is in no <laughs> way- Why the dinner is ruined.
1: The dinner is ruined because Alice made terrible decisions about literally every part of this dinner party, and then blames this poor woman for everything that goes wrong, because she's a bad person. Yeah. And, and like... It is so obvious to everyone, and it's so uncomfortable, and it's intentional. Oh, yeah. Catherine Hepburn makes you sit there in what a terrible person she's being for a very long scene. And so just saying that it's the, like, behavior of the maid is, like, so aggressively missing the point of that scene that is, in many ways, the best scene in the movie, that it makes me really angry.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, whoever wrote that summary also, like, they're racist. Like, if that's what you're taking away from that scene, you have totally fucking missed the point. Yeah. So apparently it's super hot that day. And the dinner that they're having is like caviar sandwiches for hors d'oeuvres, and then soup, and then sweetbreads, and then something that has Brussels sprouts in it and is like meat and potatoes or whatever. From the very first moment everybody is like oh it's so hot ah if only we had had a better dinner but we really just what is it Catherine Hepburn says about how like letting the help make decisions about the food that she has picked all of it out
1: yeah more and more things she keeps saying are like well I guess that's why you don't let a servant handle that it's in a movie that made her deal with this kind of this interesting commentary on capitalism because then it's about like oh that is learned behavior like that is what she's seen is every time something goes wrong blame the help that is how you act like a rich person
0: like good you, you have learned your lesson good job <laughs> it was a bad lesson to learn but it is the accurate one
1: right and like again that's how the ending makes it so weird because it it does end up being like And it's good she learned that because she got herself a man and not like, and that is horribly unattractive when you don't have the money to just throw at people who notice you're a terrible person.
0: And there's a bunch of shit that happens in the dinner that's very uncomfortable. First of all, like before Alice comes in, the mom says something about how, oh, well, Alice is never, ever bothered by the heat because I'm not sure what the exact words are, but it's like, oh, because she's such a perfect angel and Again, why does everyone in this family think that she is
1: so wonderful? Well, here's the thing that's weird to me about that is my read on that is that the mom was like trying to talk her up, knowing that marriage was a possibility and talking her up as a prospect. But then the weird thing about the dinner party is how unengaged not just the brother but the dad is in the whole process of like how important this dinner is well the brother's
0: not even there right and it feels like Alice has intentionally not invited him It's never stated specifically, but when it comes up, she's like, oh, yeah, he's just at the office working late or whatever. It's like she planned it all so that he wouldn't be there.
1: Even before we get to the part where she's super racist, it's so uncomfortable. I literally have down in my notes, God, I'm so happy I'm married. Dating is fucking awful. (laughs) (laughs) Because like the the, it's not even like that it's awkward because of her and because of her behavior, although it eventually is that it's also just like sit in this awkward conversation you have to have with the mom well try and make small talk like it's just oh god it's painful
0: it's really agonizing and it is a total tour de force performance by Catherine hepburn because you watch this go from like her being excited and happy that her like boyfriend or whatever is here to getting herself so worked up that she starts like digging herself into a spiral of shame and then blaming it on the this woman that they've hired that they're pretending is their maid. And Arthur says nothing except Catherine Hepburn will say like, oh, isn't everything awful? And he's like, well, this is actually my favorite dish or something like that. He's not a great conversationalist. I'll say that. But she eventually there's like a five minute stretch where no one says anything because Catherine Hepburn is just nervously chattering. When someone does try to answer a question she's asked, she just jumps on them and and immediately starts talking over them.
1: And then the sort of exit to that scene, which I don't want to skip over because it's amazing. But the exit to that scene is that the brother comes home and starts making a scene and she starts chasing Arthur out basically while still trying to keep up appearances but with tears in her eyes it's really like it is a genuinely amazing performance it is when i wrote down god hepburn fucking saves this crap <laughs> because like the whole dinner party is great but the part where she kind of tries to chase him off is a goddamn tour de force and i'm once again angry at the movie for fucking undercutting it with that ending
0: what's really amazing about her performance is that she simultaneously manages to be really not sympathetic, but somehow, because it's Catherine Hepburn doing this performance, you don't take any joy in her suffering. There's no like, oh, well, now she gets her fucking comeuppance while still not siding with her. Oh, God, we're watching this girl fall apart. And it's because she can't get rid of all of this indoctrination about class and shit that she thinks is supposed to be desirable, and she can't get free of that. It doesn't excuse it, but it does make it understandable, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think it makes it understandable. And it also makes it even if it, it makes it relatable in a way where not the specifics, like I've never yelled at a black servant that they've ruined my dinner party, because God, so many parts of that have not even <laughs> anyway, but like the thing where you know you've botched it, you know you fucked it up, and it's, like, ruined now, and you can't do anything about it, and you are trying to get out of that gracefully, but trying to just have it end, is something I think, I think that's pretty universal.
0: Definitely the thing where you find yourself trapped in some shit, and you keep trying to dig yourself out, but you're just digging yourself deeper.
1: Yeah, I think think she makes it relatable while not doing that thing the new BoJack Horseman season talks about a lot which is the idea that like once it's relatable then it's okay right we're all this horrible racist person that just is a class striver it is like no all the things she did were still terrible but like there but for the grace of god go i cuz it's fucking Catherine Hepburn
0: it's the not the specifics of the situation but the emotional situation that is relatable
1: yeah And then we get into the part where the ending spends more time setting up the happy ending for capitalism than it does the happy ending for our main character.
0: And how?
1: Because the reason I brought up the resolution between the dad and Mr. Lamb is like, the movie seems to care a lot more about it than the resolution between Arthur and Alice. It spends a lot more time on it. There's way more emotional beats All the characters are way more invested in it than they're invested in Alice's relationship.
0: Yeah, I honestly, like, shortly after that plotline wrapped up, I looked to see how much more movie was left. And I was like, oh, cool. So she doesn't get together with Arthur. Yeah. (laughs) Because there was like a minute and a half left or something.
1: Oh, no, I here's my rough transcription of the end of the movie. Well, we've all learned important things about the bittersweet nature of life and how class can be a prison in modern America, and I guess there's no escaping these large and important themes. Walks out to porch. Dim cheekbones, dough girl. Gee whiz. End of film. <laughs> like, they just, like... Uh, He he, doesn't even pretend to have a reason that he's still in love with her. He just says he's still in love with her and they kiss.
0: I'm mostly laughing because Sean was watching part of it with me and literally said at a certain shot of Catherine Hepburn apropos of nothing else. Dem cheekbones, though.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's I mean, it's the only possible justification for why he stays
0: with her. Uh, Yeah. Well, and also he's like a nobody with no opinion. Yeah. So or or maybe he's like secretly just been like, yeah, I'm racist. I'm just not loud about it. You know, maybe he's like the quiet Trump voter who's like, I'm not gonna wear a MAGA hat and like scream, lock her up.
1: Another one of my notes is the mom definitely voted for Trump.
0: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> the long
1: screaming scene about how, like, they got left behind and everybody else is richer than them now is the most MAGA shit I've ever heard outside of a Kanye West rant. <laughs> like, the the, the. the. Like, it's so. And again, I think when the movie lets that be complicated, it's super interesting. But the movie kind of just goes, like, no, she's right. And in a way that's like, not she's right and that indicts capitalism, like she's right and he should start that factory and get ahead in capitalism.
0: Yeah, like the only thing that she seems to have been wrong about by the movie standards is that he should have just gone and talked to his boss and then opened the factory with his, I guess with his boss's support Instead of not doing that. Yeah. But that always she was right about how they needed to get ahead in life and make more money with his super secret greatest glue ever that is not patentable.
1: The best glue in the world. Yeah, it's really complicated that that like this movie, I mean, I guess it's not complicated. And that's the problem is that it really botches this by making the resolution about this thing that like fucking who cares, like in a substantive in universe way, like I get that everyone's fate is weirdly more tied up in Mr. Lamb, now that the brother has stolen money from him. But like, in a larger thematic sense in the sense that this is Alice Adams' story and that apparent like it's fucking named after her she's the title character they spend so much time dealing with telling you that all the class stuff will be okay and no time dealing with the emotional fallout of any of her actions
0: right well and the other thing as well is that overcoming your class is just as easy as like having a good idea And then getting your boss involved to make it happen. That the moral of the story is just let your boss know. And like, that's not a good moral of the story.
1: (laughs) No, I do wonder, I should have read more about the original story because everything I know about it, I learned from the Amazon X-Ray Fun Facts Which also has a fun fact that makes the director of this movie sound like a real dick.
0: What's the fun fact?
1: You know the scene where she comes home after the dance and starts crying at the window in the rain? Yes. The original script called for her to fall onto the bed and start weeping. But George Stevens thought that the thing at the window would be better. But when it came to the day of shooting, Catherine Hepburn just sort of couldn't bring herself to actually cry, like to, to, to have tears in her eyes. Uh, and so asked if they could go back to the way that was supposed to be in the script on the bed. And then George Stevens screamed at her so much, she started openly weeping. And he was like, action! And they filmed the scene.
0: Oh, God. Um oh. I hate directors like that.
1: Yeah. And it's also weird because Katherine Hepburn still has like nice things to say about the guy. And I do think like this is clearly a great performance from her and does sort of make you look at Katherine Hepburn differently than like little women, which I also have in my notes that like Joe was a terrible role for Katharine Hepburn.
0: It really was.
1: And that like this is such a better use of what she is good at. It displays the unique qualities of Katharine Hepburn uh, so well that like I get where this is kind of more of a breakout role. Like Little Women was the big role, but this showed another side of her and she makes a big deal about it in like later interviews and stuff.
0: And it's a challenging role because you have to be able to play this role in a way where it doesn't forgive her transgressions and her racism and her like obsession with class. But it doesn't make you just glory in all of her suffering. Like, I didn't have any schadenfreude through the whole thing. What I wanted was, like, for some upstart anarchist friend of her brother's to, like, sweep her off her feet and be like, fuck the the bourgeoisie. And where she, like... Her obsession with class now becomes one of a struggle against rather than a struggle to be part of. Or I am
1: really down with the idea that like, especially in like the 1930s, especially in America of this generation, class being something you really can't overcome and the mother's obsession with it and her obsession with it stemming from a real thing about the world and not just them being shitty is... I think, interesting and important enough on its own and says enough about capitalism on its own. Right. But you can't then do this fucking cop-out ending where like, no, it's not. Actually, it's fine. Actually, if you're Catherine Hepburn then it's fine.
0: Well, and if you're Catherine Hepburn's dad. So yeah, we should actually talk really quickly about what happens in that scene. So the brother comes home, confesses that the reason he asked his dad for $150 earlier in the movie is because he needed to put the money back because he'd taken it from the accounts for a friend of his who was in gambling debt. And that now Lamtha found out, the dad is like, fine, I'm going down to the bank right now, which like, In the 1930s were banks open after dark because they're not in 2018. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to get that money and I'm going to get a loan and I'm going to pay that guy every dime back. And then before he can leave, Mr. Lamb shows up and is like, well, I'm going to open my own glue factory. And the dad says, you know, opening a glue factory means nothing to you. It has no impact on your life, but doing this for me is gonna have a tremendous impact on my life. And then the guy's like, oh well, yeah, I understand. So let's talk about it on Monday and go into business together.
1: Specifically because (laughs) the thing that happened in between those two things is like Alice comes down and says like, hey he did all this stuff so that I could have more money and get to a higher level in society. And then the guy just goes like, oh, I didn't realize he did this for a reason. <laughs> I never thought to ask.
0: I I never realized that you were
1: poor. It makes it seem like everything he has done is just about how his feelings were hurt, which is also kind of fucked up if you think about it.
0: I do think that it sets it up that way. But it's also like, oh, well, now that I understand why my feelings were hurt was because you guys have a lot of feelings, then... Let's start a glue factory together. And I'm like, all right, that's okay. Huh? Yeah. That's a thing. Anyway, and then there's a whole, like, touching scene between Alice and her dad where she's, like, I don't know, they have a father-daughter moment.
1: I've blocked that scene out. I have no memory of that scene whatsoever.
0: I don't even remember what they said because I was like, oh, yeah, of course, like, this is the end. Whatever. And then, like, she doesn't get the guy, but something happens that her dad is, like, going to be able to make a little more money for the family. And then she goes out to the porch in, like, the last... 30 fucking seconds, and Arthur is there and is like, yeah, I didn't go home when you tried to make me go home, which, A, creepy. A,
1: creepy. B, (laughs) means he was just standing on the porch when Mr. Lamb storms in and tries to storm out and is just sitting there with his hat, like, on the little porch swing (laughs) and going like, well, I have no internal life, so I won't intervene in this at all. (laughs) Like... It it doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, and then it's like, well, don't worry, I still love you, and then they kiss, and that is the end of the movie. It's
1: bonkers. Let's rate this movie because we've talked already at so much length about that ending and how much I hate it. Also, like, I don't quite. No, because like Catherine Hepburn is a lot of this movie, but is also arguably the only good thing in this movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think I'm going to give it a 5 because I do appreciate that even if it undercuts its message about class struggle, it never undercuts its message about racism being bad and wrong and the result of white people being oppressive to black people and that is that's hard to come by, even in contemporary films.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm also gonna give it a five. I think kind of the actual story of this is kind of incoherent. Yeah. Um, and there, and there's not much there. But like, Catherine Hepburn gives a hell of a performance. What it's it, it says interesting things, like we say about race, even if it can't stick the landing on what it's saying about class. And like, it, it, I don't know. I, I think of this as weirdly similar to The Informer. Just with like, what if the lead was actually played by a, somebody who deserved best actor, best actress that like really nailed it? It's still kind of thin on the, thin on the ground. It's still kind of weird and just ends and has scenes. I don't know why they're there. And
0: its politics are a little bit muddled. Right. And it has an ending that's like out of nowhere, just completely exonerates the main character. Yeah. Yeah, I guess if the Informer had had Catherine Hepburn in it, it would have been a lot better.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do think, like, it's it really is a hell of a performance, and I think it does kind of drag what would have been a two or a three up to a five just on the virtue of like Catherine hepburn adds so much nuance to this character and does so many interesting things while the rest of the film is so boring around her that like it it really does single-handedly save it
0: yeah should you watch it if you like are a hardcore Catherine hepburn fan i feel like it's sort of you have to but for anybody else, I think it's pretty skippable.
1: Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I still don't think we've watched a movie this year that I would even nominate for an Academy Award. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, well, for Best Picture. This, this would get a Best Actress nomination from me, but not a Best Picture nomination. Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. I guess that's that. Uh, like I say, next week, we're we're watching Broadway Melody of 1936, which is, if you do want to follow along with us, I've been trying to, people have been saying they would want to follow along with us and honestly don't. Maybe when we get to like the, the 50s, 60s, 70s, but like, if you do want to follow along with us next week, uh, the movie is Broadway Melody of 1936 and it's available on Amazon and YouTube and iTunes. All for two ninety nine rental. Doesn't seem to be streaming anywhere. And yeah, I am also... Maybe the movie will go into why it is not the Broadway melody of 1935.
0: But Una Merkel is in it! Hooray! And I love her! <laughs> also Jack Benny. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, Jack Benny is great, but Una Merkel was someone I didn't know I loved until 42nd Street. So I'm excited to have her back.
1: Is it... Uh... Jack Benny. Somebody I was just reading from this era that I never knew was a real piece of shit, was a real piece of shit. And I think it was Jack Benny <laughs> in real life. But I may be slandering Jack Benny right now, and be thinking of somebody else who I see holding a cigar a lot in old movie
0: posters. Well, I—I I bet we'll discuss it next week. Yes.
1: Um, until then, uh, please like and subscribe and review us on iTunes, everybody. That still is very helpful. And if you want to. I don't know. Send a link to people telling them you're listening on like Facebook or Twitter. I don't use those anymore, <laughs> so if you do and you like the show, also maybe get off Facebook and Twitter for your own good. But but also while you're there, uh, tell people you like the show.
0: Oh, but you can you can follow us on Mastodon uh, as Screen Test of Time. So for the vast majority of our listeners, that will make sense. Yeah. <laughs> Until then
1: this was a movie this was a it probably should have been like part of three shorts, but it was a movie.
0: It was a movie. Uh, we'll see you next week, everybody.
1: will you have them play that again Again Play it again but we played them five times already. they want it again <laughs>